Father, we do thank you for giving us your son. And we boldly ask you to open our eyes to behold him, to reveal your son in all his glory to us. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Please be seated. Over the last number of years, I found myself um, drawn to the prayers um, that we find in Scripture. Uh, And it finally dawned on me Uh, I'm sometimes a very slow learner, but it dawned on me that while it is really important to listen to a wise man or woman speak, it is absolutely vital to pay attention when they pray. Vital. And I think the reason for that is when a wise person speaks, They can teach us the way of life, because that's what they do. They teach us the wise way of living in this world. But when they pray, they show us how to tap into the power that allows us to live that life. And that's why it's so vital. I mean, it is absolutely wondrous gift to have these prayers. And so I'm going to ask you to take out your Bibles and turn to the prayer that we read today uh, in the epistle reading, Ephesians chapter 1. This glorious, glorious, uh, very dense, very powerful, very rich chapter. Uh, And because the prayer comes at the end of this chapter, I think we have to go back to the beginning of it. Uh, It really is dense and rich, but glorious, and I think as we walk our way very quickly through this, uh, I think it will become gloriously clear, I hope, to us. Paul begins with his normal greeting, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and through those saints in Ephesus, to all of us who now get to read this very personal, very glorious letter sent to them. To those who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul breaks out into song. I can hear him almost singing this. He goes on to describe what has happened in his recent past, 2,000 years ago. Something so momentous, it has absolutely changed the world. And this is how he expresses that. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let me just read that again. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul is convinced that something has happened in history in Jerusalem that has destroyed the barrier between heaven and earth, has broken it asunder so that all of the blessings of the heavenly realm can now be poured out upon those of us in the earthly space. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been poured out upon us who are in Christ Jesus. Whoa. Big things. Remarkable things. And Paul says this was always God's intention. He says he has blessed us with this even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Paul says when God created us, when he created anything, he created us for this purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And that's why he's blessed us with all these blessings from the heavenly places. So that that intent might be our reality. God has blessed us. He has always intended to bless us that we should be holy and blameless before him. And he goes on then to says, how did this come to be? And he goes this in two words, in love. In love. <laughs> he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ. In love, God has acted in our world to fulfill his purposes for us. In this life, in this death, in this victory, he has demonstrated his love. In love, he predestined us. for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, through the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He is just overjoyed and overwhelmed by this. Can you hear it? And this is Paul reflecting again on the recent history of one Jesus of Nazareth and saying that we now know 
that when God created us in his image, a creature among all his other creatures, what he predestined us to be was adopted sons and daughters. There's the glory of redemption. God has acted in love that he might adopt us into his that he might take the creature made in his image and turn him into a son, her into a daughter, to draw them into his very life, his family. Hallelujah. That's the reality of redemption. That's what it was all about. God was turning a creature into a child, a beloved son and daughter. It blows the mind. But Vault goes on to say this is the fullness of redemption, but it's not yet the fullness of the story. It's not all that God is about. And he goes on to talk about that, and this is really remarkable. He says, in him we have redemption, past tense. We have it now, we continue to have it. Through his blood, through this sacrifice, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, it's all because of his grace, all because of his love. It has nothing to do with us. All these things, though, that we now have as his adopted sons and daughters, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, There's redemption, but he goes on. It doesn't stop. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will. His bigger will. His bigger story, right? Again, according to his purpose, God never does anything without purpose, which he set forth in Christ, in this one, this Messiah of Israel, as a plan for the fullness of time. And Paul says that fullness has come. And what is that plan? To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Wow. Just hear again what he's done. He says, look, we in our own experience have experienced redemption. We have been blessed with every blessing out of the spiritual realms. And now we have been let in on why that has happened. That there is a bigger blessing yet to come. And that bigger blessing is, is that we are simply the first fruits of his union, right? There's a bigger union coming. He is determined to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. And he's begun with us. Do you hear that? That's the bigger picture. God is intent to have all that he created become one with him. 
There's the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation of God. That's where we're going. We are the first. We're not the last. And we are the first because we have a role to play in that bigger story. (laughs) We are the steward who has been reclaimed and now is able to live the life we were created to live. That's the context of this, and it's glorious. So where does it leave us? Well, it leaves us with a future. It leaves us with a task. That's what he goes on to say. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. He goes, amazing, woke up today, I've got an inheritance, right? Something glorious. Absolutely glorious, beyond my understanding. Something that is not yet in my hands, but is guaranteed for me. In him we have obtained, past tense is here, an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And to what end? So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That's a strange phrase. But Paul is saying, we who are redeemed, we who have received this blessing from the heavenly places, wake up and discover we got an inheritance. We got a destiny. And it's guaranteed. And that means that we who are first to hope in him might be to the praise of his glory. Now, a couple of things to note here. Paul is talking about his fellow Jews here. Right? They were the first to hope in the Christ. The first community of faith was all Jewish in Jerusalem. Because salvation is first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. He'll come to us. We are the next statement. But this is about them first and foremost. And notice this. uh, We are to be to the praise of his glory. The word Jew is to praise. To be a Jew is to be the praise of the glory of God. To be the one who is made in his image, who is there to reflect that image, to live to and into that image so that he is the praise of the glory of the one who made him. And there is the vocational aspect of our adoption. We who are adopted into the family get to live out the family likeness, to live to the praise of the glory of the one who created us in his image. Amazing. What an honor. And that's part of the inheritance. Uh, He goes on, and we now are mentioned. It says, in him you also, writing to the Gentiles in Ephesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, I came and I preached this strange story about a Jew who died on the cross and then rose again, and you heard the voice of God. It broke through the thickness of your heart and your mind, and you knew it was true. 
right? The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You Gentiles, as well as we Jews, sealed with the Spirit of God himself, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Paul is just revving up here. Um, when he speaks about all and every blessing from the spiritual realm, he is talking about the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit himself is every blessing from the heavenly realm that has been poured out upon us. And since he is the Spirit of Christ, he is the one through whom Christ unites all things to himself. You got the Spirit? You're in Christ. You have received every blessing from the spiritual realm, the heavenly places. He says, in the Spirit, we are uh, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Uh, and listen to this, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now, do you hear that verse? Until we acquire possession. The promise is inheritance. There is a destiny. We've been given the spirit, sealed, guaranteed. And the end is until we ourselves acquire it, take hold of it, possess it. That's staggering. That's talking again about vocation and not redemption. Redemption is for vocation, not the other way around. Remarkable thing. We are to acquire. Again, just think about all the steps. We have been blessed by the gift of the Spirit. We have therefore been adopted in the very family of God. We have therefore been restored to our place in the bigger purposes of God, to be that steward for his good creation, to lead it to its end, which is absolute union and communion with its creator. All things united in the Christ, in heaven and on earth. That's our vocation to acquire possession of our inheritance, to partner with this one in what he is doing within his creation. You have been redeemed for that purpose. A remarkable thing. That's the context. And now we finally get to the prayer. And it is equally, I think, as glorious. Here's Paul again. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then here's the request, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's the request. One thing, I pray for you 
as I pray for everyone, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ might give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, the Christ, the Messiah, the one in whom and through whom and as whom God unites all things to himself. Now, wisdom is the first thing the apostle mentions, right? Uh, because it is indeed the goal of what uh, we need, but it's not the means to that goal. Wisdom flows from revelation, not the other way around. It is the revelation that we need if we are to act wisely to how things truly are. And so he's basically saying, I'm praying that you will see Jesus. That the Father will be pleased to reveal his Son to you. To reveal him in his depth, his profoundity, his glory, his purpose. That you might be, in a sense, a revelation in the knowledge of him so that you might learn how to live your life in accordance with him. That's wisdom but it's based on revelation. And his prayer is, I hope that you can see Jesus. I pray that you will ever see him clearly, fully, more and more. That's the key to life, is to see him. He goes on to say why that is true. He says, uh, because this, he says, um, as you have this wisdom and a revelation of the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So here's, he's just thinking of a process. As this begins to happen to you, as your eyes of your heart are enlightened, certain things will flow. He says, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Your eyes have to be enlightened for you to know that, to own that, tacitly know it. The hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And the reason he says that is simply this. You know, for as we see him, we see our inheritance. As we see him, we see our destiny. For he alone has lived the life we were created to live. He alone has achieved the destiny we were destined to live. And he alone is the one who can share that with us. As we see him, we see the riches of our inheritance. As we see him, we see our destiny. That destiny, uh, he goes on in a few verses later saying, this is the one who raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So that's who we're to see. Because as we see him, we see ourselves in him. 
we see our destiny. So not only does that awaken the desire for that end, Paul goes on and says, not only does it have the riches of his glorious inheritance, but also what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. You see him in all his glory, and you remember how he came to be there, you know how you're going to get there. The same power that raised Christ from the dead will raise you from the dead in him. And we begin to tap into the power of God to live the life of God as the steward of God. That same power, he says, is open to you. Whoa. Remarkable. How does Paul know these things? How does he know that as the eyes of our hearts are open, we come to know this destiny and come to tap into this power so that we can acquire possession of it? Well, note how he ends the prayer. Verse 22, he put all things under his feet. This is again talking about the Christ, Jesus. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This stunned me this week as I reflected on this, and I kept on coming back to it. Uh, take away all of the not useless words, I'm not, there's nothing useless in this prayer, but just look at the main action. It says, the Father gave the Son to the church. Did you see that? The Father gave, past tense, the Son to That's why Paul is confident. We usually think that the church is a gift to the Christ, lesser to the greater. But uh-uh. in the gospel, it works the other way around. The greater always gives to the lesser. And the Father has given the Son to you, to me, to the church. Why would we doubt that he would choose to reveal the Son to us to fulfill the prayer request of the Apostle? There is his hope. There it is. Let me just uh, end by drawing this to a close by saying, um, we come today to invite a little bit into the church. I ask you the question, dare you and I believe that in and through this sacrament, the Father will give the Son to her? That's what Paul says. The Father has given the Son to the church. 
She's being brought into the body. The Father's giving the Christ, the Son, to her. And dare we believe then that if that is true, then the Father will also answer the Apostle's prayer, that he will also give to her the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. A little bit, we are praying for that for you this day. Praying that for your family. Praying that for all who are gathered here. Praying that for all the saints in heaven and on earth. That the eyes of our hearts would be opened to see him. That we might find the desire and the power to become like him. By the grace of God to acquire the possession of our inheritance. To become like Jesus. That's the apostle's prayer. And he prays it for you. Prays it for me. Praise God, he prays it for little bit. Let us run. Just respond to that prayer.